business and people. Your host, Walt Bayless. Let's get this show started. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Business and People podcast. I'm your host, Walt Bayless. Today, we have somebody incredible on the show who has a master's in psychology. She's currently going for her doctorate in psychology. She's a TEDx speaker. She's a published author, and she focuses in on mental well-being. She's got something on her profile, which I really want to dig into, which is talking about minimizing psychological injury, and we're going to really dive into that. It gives me great pleasure to welcome to the show, Miss Tasha Broomhall. Tasha, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to have you with us. Now, Tasha, you've, you've really focused in on the psychological side of human beings. And we were talking just before we clicked record, you've traveled everywhere, helping people from remote communities all the way through. And I'm, I'm reading your bio there to, to big organizations, individuals. How did you get started into the psychological area of human well-being? Oh, that's an awesome um, question. I started off working in workplace mental health uh, 20 years ago now. So I studied disability, worked in the disability field for a while, then went back and studied psychology. And the organisation that I got my first posting at was a psychological, um, they call themselves psychiatric vocational rehabilitation. So the idea was that we would look at how we could either help people back into employment who had mental health issues as a barrier to employment Mm. or who might be currently employed but whose mental health issues was proving a bit of a barrier for them maintaining that employment. So we worked under some models with some training from some people from Boston in the US um, around psychiatric vocational rehab and I found that a really fascinating area to work in. I was really surprised with how different mental health in reality was than what I'd learned at uni. So people who, you know, I had a guy who was very senior in a hospitality organisation who had was living with bipolar disorder, who had some barriers from his illness to, to employment. I had somebody I worked with who was um, a trolley collector at a local shopping centre who was living with schizophrenia. I had a mental health nurse who we did some work with who was living with depression. So I realised that mental health issues were just across the board relevant for people. It it didn't Mm. discriminate who you were, where you worked. But I saw employment was a really strong part of people's recovery. Employment is such an important role in our society. One of the first things people ask you at a social event is, what do you do? Um, You know, we're so obsessed with people's work being part of who they are that if you can't participate in employment, it can be really limiting then in the social roles that you can engage with. And I saw that as a great way of being able to help people in their recovery. Wow, awesome. And so you went out on your own with Blooming Minds. So it's uh, bloomingminds.com.au, which is a, a mental health specialist organization. And what was, you went that direction to, to specifically help people in that area? Yeah, so when I, probably about nearly 13 years ago, um, I went on maternity leave with my second baby from uh, work. And I realized that I really didn't want to go back and do the same sort of reactive work I wanted to do a lot more proactive work Mm. and so I designed Blooming Minds around the idea of how we could help people in all sorts of workplaces to stay mentally well and to create mentally healthy workplaces so that the workplace wasn't causing any risks for their staff members and you know we see so much stress can be work 
originated um, or exacerbated. And so I saw that as a great opportunity to get in before things were manifesting. Yeah, definitely. I, I completely agree. So looking at that history then, Tasha, you've got um, the, the, the understanding of the mental illness and, and also then looking at the stress component of that. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of putting words into your mouth here, but what I'm, what I'm thinking is over the last 10 years, you would have seen a massive um, understanding of both of those issues coming to the forefront. So stress has been uh, obviously tagged just so much in terms of our illness and our well-being. And, of course, then along with that, um, the, the actual understanding or even acceptance of mental health being a real um, uh, this issue that people can deal with and, and doesn't have to be swept under the carpet. How yeah. have you seen those two things and the understanding of those two things change your business and the way that you're approaching businesses uh, with the services that you offer? Dramatically, dramatically changed. Even Not even in the 20 years I've been working in this field, just in the, the 12 years of business, um, you know, when I first started, we were trying to convince people of the need to do this work. We were right. trying to talk to them about it's your obligation to to create psychologically safe workplaces. You need to not have too much stress. You need to be able to respond to people appropriately without discrimination. Now, most organisations have already got a strong sense of that. We just mm-hmm. now get to give them the skills of how to do that well. So it's a it's a very different conversation. It used to be awareness raising, but yeah. like you say, this country's done awareness raising around mental health for a long time. Now, what we get to do is skill development, and that's oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely. Is there a um, one of the things that I come ac- across a lot? I speak to entrepreneurs and and you know lots of people who are uh, trying to, I guess, uh, put food on the table and they're trying to do it themselves by by creating mm-hmm. their own businesses and that kind of stuff. And stress is a massive component of that. Is there a uh, is there a standard way that you would help someone address what's going on and and be able to work with them on that? In terms of their own stress, you mm, mm. yeah. Look, it's it's really complex because it has to be individualised. Yeah, sure. That's, at, it's probably the wrong question. Yeah. Like, you can't have a one fix for all, but no. But what you can do is have a, an overall framework that you would apply for an individual. So the overall framework, if I was working with whether they be a small business owner or a leader in a large organisation, it would be from a personal perspective. What are the things that are causing you stress at the moment, how is that affecting you, what are the things that you need to put in place around that, of course. So we have a four-step model that looks at governance, awareness, skills and Mm behaviour. And if we were to apply that to an individual level, governance is in an organisational, that's policies and procedures, but at an individual level we'd be looking at, well, what are your values and are you living aligned with your values? Mm. And we know that as entrepreneurs we so often have values-based business. We've designed something around the world we want to create and we want to be part of, but sometimes we get caught in the the hustle and we're not actually aligning our actions with our values anymore. So from that governance perspective I'd be looking at what are your values are you living aligned with those because we know that that's a really important part of individual psychological well-being and one we don't often focus on until something massive comes and slaps us up the side of the head you know we have a big illness or we have a life major change and that's when we go oh I'm not doing the things that are important to me I better get back on track so if we can do that proactively that can Mm -hmm. be really powerful for the individual then we'd look at okay what 
what is your own knowledge of mental health and well-being and what are the things you could be doing proactively. We would then look at what the skills are and then habitualising that, so putting that into practice. Okay. And similar similar model for if it was an organisation. So sure. organisation governance is what are your policies and procedures in this space? What is it that people are meant to do around here? Yep. Then we'd look at the awareness levels, again, the skills required and behaviours. Have you found have you found that there's still a pushback from from an executive level in businesses towards mental health issues at an employee level? Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's seen still a little bit as oh this is fluff. Yeah, um, right. But we're seeing less of that, to be honest. There is a really strong focus at an exec level on psychological safety and yep. psychological injury risk in many businesses across Australia because they recognise that it's costing them money if they don't. So they recognise the impacts in terms of absenteeism and presenteeism, the impacts if they have discrimination or if they don't meet their privacy obligations. There's real concerns in many businesses around how do we reduce these costs and imposts. So we're seeing a lot less of the pushback. We're still seeing a little bit of a, so can't we just tick a box um, and, and go, we've done something for mental health? Can't we just, yeah. you know, put on a lunch and, and tell everyone to to call a helpline if they need it? Yeah, yeah, so there's still a little bit of that tokenism um, in some organisations, but there's a lot less of the ignorance of the issue than, than what there used to be. Nice. So you mentioned the phrase there that I, that I uh, spoke about in the introduction there, which is psychological injury. Now, if we look at from a workplace, um, there's always a push for safety, physical safety in terms of making sure that the workplace is a safe environment, etc. You mentioned psychological injury, making sure that a workplace is, uh, is free from the risk of psychological injury. Tell me about that. So we have obligations as employers to create safe workplaces and do no harm, and that includes psychologically. Generally, what we're talking about there is around stress-related workers' compensation claims. These are some of the most expensive and often the most time off work required um, in terms of any workers' comp claims in Australia. What we're looking at in general are things like the lack of control that staff members might have, too high demands that they might have. So particularly in the current economic climate, lots of organisations are trying to be leaner and do more with less, um, Mm. which might mean that they're then overextending and expecting too much of some stuff. That's a psychological injury risk potentially. Um, We'd need to look at what are the potential inherent risks in a role. So, for example, some of my PhD research is working in um, looking at institutional silence and psychological risks in police officers and hospital-based doctors. And you can't take away the particular risks that they face you know they're they're dealing with trauma they're dealing with people who may not want to be dealt with um so we can't take away all those risks but we do need to identify them and put controls around them so it's really critical that just like with regular safety with health health and safety that focuses on you know appropriate equipment and appropriate um I don't know, shift breaks, et cetera, et cetera. We need to do the same from a psychological perspective, identify what might be the inherent risks in this role and what are the controls we can put around them. Wow, okay. And has that, um, has that I guess, uh, understanding that there is a risk of psychological injury, has that opened doors for you, like in, in terms of your business growth? Has that opened doors for you in terms of, you know, people understanding that that's a real thing? Hey, Tasha, come and talk to us about it. We, yeah. we really want to make sure we put something in place. 
Yeah, we're certainly seeing a lot more of that. When I started, you know, nearly 13 years ago, I was lucky that I started the business from a position of being a mum with mm. a young baby, so I didn't have a lot of capacity for work. So um, I was getting enough work quite organically. But then as my kids got a bit older and I wanted to grow the business, I started to look around and think, okay, how do I grow this kind of business? How do I how do I find out what the market needs and, and market to them? And I'm really fortunate that it's become a lot more of a prevalent topic. It's a point of discussion a lot more to look at psychological injuries in the workplace because, as I said earlier, it's, it's costing companies money. Mm. Um, and so therefore they've started looking more for what we're doing and they're looking for providers that can make quite dynamic needs of some businesses a lot of you know organizations probably four or five years ago there was a really um surface level need of let's just say we're doing something in this space um and we're seeing a lot more sophisticated approaches being taken now and that's where we have a role because blooming minds approach is to build capacity within the organization mm. we don't see our job to come in and and put on some you know, some events for you that you can then go, oh, tick, we're doing it. Our job is to build your capacity to create positive psychological cultures. And so we're seeing now we're very in a very fortunate position that we've got as much work as we can as we can handle. That's great. That's good. Can I can yeah. I can I speak about that just for a moment? Because as I mentioned, the the group that that are listening to us are entrepreneurs, are starting a business, etc. When you were starting out, blooming minds, uh, as you said, you're a, you're a new mom. Um, how was, how did you find it? Like, how did you juggle that whole thing? Yeah, it was really tricky at times. I remember, you know, I, I had, um, with my second baby that I had while the business was running, he came four weeks early. So my children generally have come quite late. So I've worked, you know, up until they arrive. Um, but this little one decided to come early. And I remember having a been asked to do a keynote at a very large, um, very uh, significant conference. And I was I said to them when they booked me, look, as long as you know that I'll be very, very pregnant, that'll be fine by me. But as long as you're okay, that if anything untoward happened and the baby came early, I'd pull out. And they said, yeah, yeah, no problem. But I didn't think that would happen. Right. And then, of course, the baby came four weeks early. And so by the time the conference came around I had a two-week-old baby and and luckily my husband had taken some leave and so he was able to come along and sit in the green room and and I fed the baby and then went on stage and you know so I just I had to be really flexible but I was really fortunate that I had the support of my husband to be able to be flexible around but I mean even for my first baby I was giving a lecture when she was a week old Um, (laughs) so it's not um because I had expected her to be born quite a bit earlier than she was. Um, but, but I think that flexibility has probably been the biggest skill set that I've had that's mm. en- enabled me to build a dynamic business around three children. And, um, uh, you know, I just feel really, I feel really lucky that I get to balance both of those things. But that's not to say it's not really, really hard work. Yeah, and I haven't. Um, I've learnt how to put in place some structures to maximise mm-hmm. that work. So, for example, this month I'm doing a lot of this, like this, you know, interviewing and talking with people um, from my desk rather than doing in-person courses because this week I've got three kids, uh, sorry, this month I've got three kids who are settling into significant years in their education. So I wanted to be here for before and after school runs and, yeah, and sure. to be present for them. So, so I'm fortunate that, 
this wasn't my first year in business because it would have been very hard to prioritise that time, yeah. but I have managed to get to that stage now. What would you do differently, Tasha, now, now that you have the wisdom of a mother of three, now that you have the 12 years of business uh, already under your belt and obviously the business environment has changed along with that, but what would you do differently now that you have that experience? Um, I would have got business mentoring earlier. Mm-hmm. So I have two business mentors that have been with me since almost the beginning um, but their focus for both of them is on the psychological field so they both come from that background Mm -hmm. Um, so I have really strong support in that area I didn't get as strong support with actual business development um, until more recently and I think that I would have learnt lessons a bit quicker if I'd had that support earlier. Um, And I get that now from a range of different modes. I've learnt that it's not going to be necessarily just one area that Mm. I get that support in. So I have a regular group of business women uh, that I get together with every six weeks and we do business development um, work. And I also have a mastermind that I'm part of with another group that um, meets every eight weeks and that's a little bit more strategy based. And so those groups have really helped me transform the business. And we're in a growth phase at the moment in Blooming Minds. We're just launching some new online programs and some whole of organisational development programs. And I've had the ideas for these for about five years. We did all of the work and research about four years ago, knowing that they were really um, valuable products for market but I didn't have the nous of how to bring them to market until the last 18 months wow so I wish I'd had the knowledge of what I didn't know (laughs) you know five years ago and we might have been able to bring them to market already but having said that I'm also really philosophical that you know what you know when you know it yeah sure and maybe now's the time that I had enough of the other experience and knowledge to really take advantage of this anyway so no you, regrets, really. Do you have the um, no regret? It, it couldn't have happened at any other time. It was supposed to happen at that time. But, Maybe, yeah. Uh, did the did the the groups, the support groups that you were a member mm-hmm. of, um, help you bring those skills together, or like 100%. how did that how did that happen? Yeah, hundred percent. So as I said, a couple of different groups, and I've been involved in different groups over the years, and at different times have had different needs. So that's another thing, that flexibility of going, this group's meeting my need at the moment. No, it's not at the moment. It has been really useful. So I don't tend to get bogged down in, um, you know, not wanting to offend anybody because this isn't meeting my needs anymore. I think that it's their reciprocal relationships and if I'm not getting my needs met, I won't be serving anyone else either. Um, So, But certainly, like even the new program that we're launching at the moment, our Champions Program, I went through that with a fine-tooth comb with a bunch of um, colleagues in that business group and just got some phenomenal feedback from some of them in that particular group or in really senior positions in large organisations that are my target clients. I've never worked in those large organisations, so they were able to give me some insights in terms of what the market actually needs and the language that's used around that that I wouldn't have been able to figure out myself. So, yeah, i that's one thing that as a solopreneur early on, I didn't realise how many networks and supports there were that you could actually connect with like-minded people and, and support each other. That's very, very cool. That is, and I'm on that, is there 
um, is there a, an upskilling that you do on a regular basis being, being in that field when you, you pick up something like, for example, your, your online courses, which I'm just looking at at the moment on the site there. Um, so people can come through and, and, you know, get some self-assessments and that kind of stuff going through, which is fantastic. And then go through courses to help them deal with stress and deal with all kinds of different things that they're working with. Do you, do you find yourself in a skill shortage and say, okay, I need to skill up, I need to book up? Or are you taking tasks and outsourcing them? Like how are you handling the new areas of your business? Yeah, both. So I generally sit down at the beginning of the year and set my business goals for the year. Mm -hmm. I chunk it down roughly into quarters, but it's quite fluid. Um, I then look at what I currently know that I need to know um, and that does change throughout the year. Sometimes I realise, oh, I thought I had this but no, I don't and I need right. to go find it. Yep. Um, I'll either jump on somebody else's course, I'll buy a book, I'll listen to some podcasts or I'll hire somebody depending on what is going to be the quickest way for me to get that need met. Yep. Sometimes I've um, I've actually found businesses who run public or private courses and I've just hired them to do a one-on-one with me because I know if I go and spend a day with them in their public course, what I can learn in three hours intensive just with me is going to be much better use of my time. So I'll take whichever approach is needed. But I also love hiring people that have got different skill sets because I may not be able to... um, learn things in the same way that they are so they might be able to bring something something different. So we have a range of people that we hire on a casual basis mm-hmm. um, and we also work with interns with one of the local universities which I am loving because they just bring the most, you know, unique and dynamic perspectives to some of our work and that's been really enriching as well. Nice. It would be good to have that those those fresh eyes, I guess, like and, mm-hmm. and they'd be keen to impress and keen to... Um, bring their knowledge out and that kind of stuff as well. So that would bring a big, big energy, I would imagine, yeah. into the school. And it can be really exciting because we've now hired one of them. So she does an ongoing project with our magazine. That's and great. she's still doing her, um, she's doing her psychology honours at the moment. So we're giving her some runs on the board to start her career. So we're giving her some benefit, but we get phenomenal benefit from her knowledge and energy as well. Nice. Very, very cool. Now, talking of, of knowledge and, and delivering that in a, in a certain way, your TEDx talks are, uh, are something else. How did you get into that environment? Look, they just rang me. Um, I don't wow. quite know how it happened. They rang one day and I was in the middle of something and said, oh, yeah, I'm not really sure. Ring me back. I didn't really take it very seriously. I was a really big TED fan and thought, oh, this sounds a bit weird. I'm not quite sure. Um, and then they emailed and they said, look, you haven't rung us back. Um, we're really interested. And I went, oh, yeah, okay. And then they emailed again. <laughs> and my husband said, what are you, you know, what are you dragging your feet about? And I said, oh, I just, I, you know, I, I get such value from it myself. I don't know if I could be of any value. I was feeling a little bit, you know, um, nervous about putting myself on that Am stage. Am I good enough to? But you talk to thousands of people at a conference all the time. And I was like, yeah, but not under the TED brand. Yeah. Um, so it was, it was a really interesting process to go through in my own confidence and, and willingness to put my name out there. Um, and it was really funny because I I finally agreed to do it and we, we organised um, what my topic would be. And then the night before I had the 
Christmas party with a couple of the girls that were working with me at the time. And I had said to my husband, look, I, I want to run through my talk with you before I go out for dinner and, and then I'll feel really prepared for tomorrow. And, and so he and my daughter, who at the time, she must have been, I don't know, maybe 10 or so, maybe a bit younger. Um, they were sitting in the lounge room, I remember, and I remember presenting to them and they were both stony-faced the whole time. And then at the end of it, they both said, no, no, it's not very good. No, that won't work. And I just felt devastated oh <laughs> because there was nothing God. I could do at that point. I was like, I'm out for a Christmas party now and then like, I'm on tomorrow it. morning. So I just felt really, like, you know, struck. And then I thought, no, I'm just going to go out there and I'm just going to do what comes you know I'm just going to be present and I'm going to try and serve the audience and and so um, my sister and my husband came with me to the day and I was on very late in the day and they both sat next to me and they were kind of levitating in nerves the whole day to the point that about mid-morning I said to them oh, I've got to go backstage now I'm not allowed to be here anymore which wasn't true no, you just wanted to be <laughs> apart from them. them I knew that I, I had my own nerves to deal with I couldn't deal with theirs and so I just went backstage and meditated and then went out and did it and it was fine. The earth didn't swallow up me or, you know, anything awful like that. Uh, and it was actually an incredibly fun experience awesome. at the end of the day. But it was a really funny process to get there. <laughs> Do you know, it's funny, the the concept of, of not being worthy. I mean, looking at what you've mm. achieved and where <laughs> you've come from. And and I think so many of us struggle with that that concept of self-worth, you know, in terms of am I really good enough to to deliver something right now to this group of professionals and group of people. How do you feel in that regard now that you've ticked that TEDx box twice? Yeah, I think what I've learned is that when I get in my head thinking about me, that's when I that's when that imposter comes through, that imposter right. syndrome comes through. But when I actually instead think of what are my values? Why am I doing this work? Mm. What is it that I'm trying to create in the world? And how can I serve these people? When I get myself in that head and heart space, then it all just flows and I no longer have an expectation that I have to do it perfectly or serve everybody. But I do have a belief that I have to turn up and be present and possibly serve somebody. Nice. And I won't always know who that is and I'm okay with that. And maybe that just gives me a free pass out of out of the stress because it's not about me as much as I might just say something that might resonate for one person and that might be really helpful. Yeah. And that aligns with my values. And and I think I've I've probably been really fortunate that I've had lots of people after events emailing or send cards or bump into me somewhere else and tell me, oh, that one thing you said did this. Wow. And sometimes it's the last thing I would have expected that resonated with somebody. Mm. So therefore I now give myself permission to not overthink it and just do the work and see what happens. Wow, that's really cool. That's awesome. I think the the ability to, um, especially in that environment where you have to deliver something to a group of people to take your, take the emphasis off yourself and more about into the the um, what you can deliver, I think that that would help a lot of people definitely moving forward. So Tasha, what's next for you? Like, I mean, let's let's look at these online courses that you've that you've launched with Blooming Minds. So that's bloomingminds.com.au. You guys can head along and really start to. Um, um, touch base with Tasha and find out how you can insulate yourself. I guess that's the wrong word, but how you can fortify yourself in the world of, um, in the world of personal stress, in the world of mental uh, health. You've got the courses um, aimed at leadership 
in in businesses. So talking to that kind of leadership group, but you also have, um, I guess, a um, the champions program, which is which is that next step up from that as well. So what's the scope of of working with you, and where will that see yeah. you moving forward from there? So this year we've got a huge. Um, leap in terms of our offerings. Mm-hmm. So the current online course for leaders is being relaunched end of March um, and that'll just be a new updated version that's a lot more um, focused on the the ideas that can be implemented straight away. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got a personal psychological wellbeing program being launched yep. then as well, which is based on my master's research around how we improve our personal wellbeing. So it's we call it beyond stress and resilience. So it's not just about how do you deal with bad things when they happen, it's how do you build for buoyancy with your mental wellbeing ongoing. So that's launching uh, late March. Uh, We've got our own podcast launching. Um, So we're starting off with an audio version of our magazine. I've done a lot of work over the last 15 years with clients who are deaf and also clients who are vision impaired. And one of the things that's come up with our vision impaired clients is could you put the magazine into an audio file? So we're starting off with that. Our magazine that currently comes out three times a year will be launched. uh, We've been recording today, so that's been exciting. Um, So that'll be launched soon as an audio and then that'll that'll you know, branch out into a podcast. Um, I've got two new books coming out this year. So wow. one about personal well-being and one about leaders and workplace cultures. Um, so we've got a lot of really exciting stuff happening. That's and the Champions Program is it feels like the most exciting bit of all of our work ever, really, because what we're looking to do is train up people in organisations to then go and do the sort of work that we would normally do, but to do themselves within the organisation, building awareness skills of, of mental wellbeing so that they don't have to have someone like me come that's in as a, much. That's a ripples in a pond kind of experience, that one. Yeah which just feels really exciting. So we've got a whole bunch of videos and training programs that the champions will get and they'll have a vault of information they can access and a whole bunch of different org development processes that we'll teach them in. And we're really excited because it feels like we'll be truly building capacity. That's really great, Tash. That's really yeah. awesome. So that will see the work that you've put 15 years into um, reaching so many more people because you yeah. have those champions out there. So two books coming out, podcasts coming out. Yeah. You've got a lot of work in front and, of course, juggling the, the, the skills of motherhood as well as long as you go. Um, I, hats off to you. I think it's absolutely amazing to see how that's all come together for you over the last 12 years. Um, and so the Champions Program, is that something that you're active marketing right now? You're looking for people out yeah. there who are getting involved? Great. So if, I guess if, if, people are, if people are curious about that, if they want to um, become a champion in their own workplace for mental health and start to learn some of the skills and, as you said, the frameworks to be able to put that in place, they can, they can reach out to you? Yeah, absolutely. Just send us an email, info at bloomingminds.com.au and we'll then talk to them about who are the organisations that's most suited for. It's not going to be the right model for every organisation. These are usually medium to large-sized organisations and we'd, you know, give them some information that they can then make a good business assessment for themselves. Fantastic. Very, very cool. Tash, um, what is something in the mental health space that still hasn't been talked about enough? Mm. 
I don't think we talk enough at all about proactively supporting mental wellbeing for ourselves and others. I think that of the last 20 years, we've had this big, sexy PR campaign around mental illness, but we haven't talked about mental wellbeing enough. And mental illness is important to talk about, but it's not the only part of the continuum. If we look at mental health lying along a continuum, why wait until people are unwell? Why shouldn't we, for others and for ourselves, be more proactive and catch ourselves when when we get into a bit of a funk or when we're a bit overwhelmed or when you know we're dying from busyitis which is just the the big disease of the moment is to just be overly busy um, and think it makes us more important but instead how could we catch those patterns and get ourselves back on track and how could we recognize it in someone else and support them early i think that that's the next challenge for this country for sure Nice, fantastic. How do you how do you deal with it personally? How do you get past busyitis with that list that you just reeled off there, which is an incredibly am, huge workload to I'm do? Very, do very fortunate that my husband is the at home parent in our family. And we have a lovely synergy there where um, for many years we were both working part-time. So I only worked part-time when the kids were little, um, as did he. And then as um, they've gotten a bit older, my work capacity was increasing. And then Craig was, um, he was made redundant in his job. And so we looked at it and went, well, I'm really enjoying my work. Could I sink my teeth in for a while? And so we decided to make that work for our family. And I've always been really good at outsourcing household things (laughs) because, you know, I would much rather when I get home from work play with my kids than clean a toilet. Um, So we've we've managed to put those balances into the structure of how our family works. Um, And then I've also got really strong plans for myself. I've struggled with anxiety at different times in my life, so I know what my limits are. So I've got really good self-care plans around the fab five things that I need to make sure that I'm ticking off every day to to engage in positive proactive habits that mm. balance my mental health doesn't mean that it doesn't sometimes still get a bit wonky but I'm really good at looking at that and going huh how interesting I need to change some priorities at the moment hence this month not having much work on because I knew that it would be important for my mental well-being to be present for the kids as they got into their new years at school um, so it's just been about proactively managing it I think nice it's a nice um it's a nice reality of being an entrepreneur to to be able to design the life around what else is happening as well which is which is awesome tash thank you so much i i really i value the time and i know we haven't dug in anywhere near deep enough as to what people can be doing uh in their own workplaces what bosses can be doing to make sure that their employees are in a safe psychological environment and what individuals can be doing to make sure that they are protecting themselves from the the stresses and the the things that we know that are out there literally attacking the mental health and the mental well-being of everyone that that's around us in these days i haven't dug into that anywhere near enough um hopefully we can get you back on the on the podcast once the the books come out you can tell us a little bit more but for now guys you can go to bloomingminds.com.au touch base with tash there and and find out how you can go through some of those self-assessments and some of those um self um, mental well-being programs that uh, that Tasha's got set up there, and of course, if you're in a workplace environment, you can bring some of those areas in and even get involved in the Champions Program um, and uh, be a leader in terms of making sure that that's a, a well-known thing. Tasha Brumel, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. I can't wait to see these books hit the shelves, um, to hear about uh, all of the adventures as as you're moving forward. And again, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. Thank you. 
Hey everyone, it's Walt, and thanks so much for listening to the episodes on the podcast. We really love bringing these interviews to you, and I hope you're getting a lot out of them. We've designed the podcast to really help and to engage with everybody out there, so you could help us by simply leaving us a comment or a review, subscribing on iTunes. Head over there now, make sure you hit that subscribe button and leave a review for us. It helps more than you could possibly believe. Do that now, and we look forward to seeing you on the next episode.